Moby Dick or The Whale by Herman Melville Chapter 57 Of whales in paint, in teeth, in wood, in sheet iron, in stone, in mountains, in stars. On Tower Hill, as you go down to the London docks, you may have seen a crippled beggar, or kedges as the sailors say, holding a painted board before him, representing the tragic scene in which he lost his leg. There are three whales and three boats, and one of the boats, presumed to contain the missing leg in all its original integrity, is being crunched by the jaws of the foremost whale. Any time these last ten years, they tell me, has that man held up that picture and exhibited that stump to an incredulous world. But the time of his justification has now come. His three whales are as good whales as were ever published in Wapping at any rate, and his stump an unquestionable stump as you will ever find in the western clearings. But though forever mounted on that stump, never a stump speech does the poor whaleman make, but with downcast eyes stands ruefully contemplating his own amputation. Throughout the Pacific, and also in Nantucket and New Bedford and Sag Harbour, you will come across lively sketches of whales and whaling scenes, graven by the fishermen themselves, on sperm whale teeth, or ladies' busks wrought out of the right whale bone, and other like scrimshander articles, as the whalemen call the numerous little ingenious contrivances they elaborately carve out of the rough material in their hours of ocean leisure. Some of them have little boxes of dentistical-looking implements, specially intended for the scrimshandering business, but, in general, they toil with their jackknives alone, and with that almost omnipotent tool of the sailor, they will turn you out anything you please in the way of a mariner's fancy. Long exile from Christendom and civilization inevitably restores a man to that condition in which God placed him, i.e. what is called savagery. Your true whale hunter is as much a savage as an Iroquois. I, and myself a savage, owe in no allegiance but to the king of cannibals, and ready at any moment to rebel against him. Now one of the peculiar characteristics of the savage is his domestic hours, his wonderful patience of industry. An ancient Hawaiian war club or spear paddle in its full multiplicity and elaboration of carving is as great a trophy of human perseverance as a Latin lexicon. For, with but a bit of broken seashell or a shark's tooth, that miraculous intricacy of wood network has been achieved and it has cost steady years of steady application. As with the Hawaiian savage, so with the white sailor savage, with the same marvellous patience and with the same single shark's tooth and his one poor jackknife, he will carve you a bit of bone sculpture, not quite as workmanlike, but as close-packed in its maidiness of design as the Greek savage Achilles' shield, and full of barbaric spirit and suggestiveness, as the prince of the fine old Dutch savage Albert Durer. Wooden whales, or whales cut out in profile out of the dark slabs of the noble South Sea Warwood, are frequently met in the forecastles of American whalers. Some of them are done with much accuracy. At some old gable roof country house you will see brass whales hung for the tail from knockers to the roadside door. When the porter is sleepy, the anvil-headed whale would be best. But these knocking whales are seldom remarkable as faithful essays. On the spires of some old-fashioned churches you will see sheet-iron whales placed there for weathercocks, 
but they are so elevated and besides that are to all intents and purpose so labelled with hands off, you cannot examine them closely enough to decide upon their merit. In bony ribbon regions of the earth, where at the base of high broken cliffs masses of rock lie strewn in fantastic groupings upon the plain, you will often discover images of the petrified forms of the Leviathan, partly merged in the grass, which of a windy day breaks against them in a surf of green surges. Then again, in mountainous countries where the traveller is continually girdled by amphitheoretical heights, here and there, from some lucky point of view, you will catch passing glimpses of the profiles of whales defined along the undulating ridges. But you must be a thorough whaleman to see these sights. And not only that, but if you wish to return to such a site again, you must be sure and take the exact intersecting latitude and longitude of your first standpoint, as so chance-like are such observations of the hills that your precise previous standpoint would require a laborious rediscovery like the Solomon Islands, which still remain incognito, though once high rough Madonna trod them and old Figuera chronicled them. Nor, when expanding lifted by your subject, can you fail to trace out great whales in the starry heavens, and the boats in pursuit of them, as when long filled with the thoughts of war, the eastern nations saw armies locked in battle amongst the clouds. Thus, at the north, I have chased Leviathan round the, round the pole, and with the revolutions of the bright points that first defined him to me. And beneath the effulgent Antarctic skies I have boarded the Argo Narvis and joined the chase against the starry Cetus far beyond the utmost step stretch of Hydrus and the flying fish. With the frigate's anchors for my bridle bits and faces of harpoons for spurs, would I could mount that whale and leap the topmost skies to see whether the fabled heavens with all their countless tents really lie and camped beyond my mortal sight.